The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, Bethlehem. It's a joy to gather to worship Jesus with you, to commission my friends the Lecklers with you, uh, to now uh, sit under God's word together. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we'll start reading in verse 54. And we're going to ignore the big eight and continue reading through the chapter break to Acts 8.3. So Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 54. This is God's word. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him, that is Stephen. But he, full of the Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Lord, how can we sing with joy as afflicted ones? It is only as we look to Christ who suffered for our sake, who is risen and exalted and now reigning in heaven, interceding on our behalf, ready to return to make everything new again. Lord, help us to look to Christ today. Help us to love our enemies as we see Stephen loving his enemies. Do a work to build your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I considered this text uh, in Acts 7, I was reminded of a book that my mom gave me as I got ready to go off to college. This, she gave me her copy of The Shadow of the Almighty, the story of Jim Elliot. 
And it, this book left a significant impact on my life. One of the most impactful books I've ever read outside the Bible. This tells the story of how Jim went to Wheaton College. And uh, he, he sensed God's call to go to the nations. And he prayed as a 20-year-old student, Lord, make my way prosperous, not that I achieve high station, but that my life may be an exhibit to the value of knowing God. Less than a decade later, in January 1956, Jim and four friends, Nate, Roger, Ed, and Pete, were murdered in an Ecuadorian jungle by the very tribe that they longed to tell of the saving love of Jesus. His widow, Elizabeth Elliot, later reflected, those who want to know Jesus must walk the same path with them. These are the martyrs, which simply means witnesses. In life as well as in death, we are called to be witnesses, to bear the stamp of Christ. Jim memorably wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Those words are displayed on my desk at home. This conviction fueled his holy ambition to preach the gospel to a people that had never heard of Jesus. And these missionary friends died before they could ever share that good news with the Warani people. And here, songs of praise rise from that tribe's language. Yet, that's not where the story stops. This story illustrates the old proverb that the blood of Christians is seed. Seeds of love were sown and bore fruit of gospel grace. As Elizabeth returned with her toddler and her friend Nate, uh, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, to live among this tribe, to forgive them for what they'd done, to share the gospel of Jesus, to see a church born. Now our passage today recounts the martyrdom of Stephen, one of those seven servant leaders who the the church laid hands on, just like we laid hands on James and Betsy and their team a few minutes ago. Uh, appointing them to care for the needs of the church in Jerusalem. Acts 6 describes Stephen as full of grace and power, doing great signs and wonders among the people. Local Jewish leaders opposed Stephen, but they could not withstand the, the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so, these opponents brought Stephen before the ruling council. They leveled false charges against him. And in his defense, Stephen offers the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. And it concludes with this rebuke of his accusers. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now on the day of Pentecost, Peter shared sharp words with his Jewish hearers. He said, you killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. And they responded by repenting. They were cut to the heart and they turned and thousands were baptized and joined to the church. But in Acts 7, the Jewish leaders respond with rage, not repentance. Their actions confirm Stephen's description of their spiritual condition. Stephen said that they were uncircumcised in heart and ears. And our passage says that that they were enraged or literally, you know, cut to the heart in a different sort of way. Like their, their heart was sawed into with anger. They stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear anymore. Stephen was full of the Spirit. And they killed him because they always resist the Spirit. This is a sobering passage for us today. And the death of this faithful witness unleashes a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and forces the believers to flee the city. As we'll see in our study of Acts, that's not the end of the story. The church was on the move, not just to escape from suffering, but to spread the good news throughout Judea and Samaria. And this persecution is the prompt for that next chapter of spreading. Here's the main point of our passage today. The faithful witness trusts Christ and follows his example of suffering. The faithful witness trusts Christ and follows his example of suffering. Luke's story shifts back and forth like two cameras going back and forth between Stephen and his opponents. We see Stephen full of the Spirit, and we see his opponents always resisting the Spirit. They murder Jesus, and Stephen sees him exalted in heaven. Stephen beholds God's glory, but they say that he is reviling God. The mob raises their voices to condemn Stephen, but he raises his voice to plead for their pardon. Stephen speaks three times in our passage, and each of those recorded sayings closely parallels something that Jesus himself said in the Gospels. So we're going to focus attention particularly on Stephen's last words which reveal his trust in Jesus and commitment to follow his Lord on the road of suffering. Here's our outline. First, the Lord sees. Next, the Lord secures. And third, the Lord saves. The Lord sees, secures, and saves. First, the Lord sees. We see in our passage that that Stephen sees the glory of God and the exalted Lord in heaven. And the Lord sees 
his suffering witness and stands ready to help. I get this from verses 55 and 56. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When Stephen sees the heavens opened, that's a clue for careful Bible readers that he is receiving a vision. For example, the, the book of Ezekiel starts with the prophet saying that the heavens were opened and he saw visions of God. Similar language shows up at Jesus' baptism as the heavens are opened or as Peter is, is waiting for lunch and he's on the rooftop and he sees the heavens opened and sees a vision in Acts 10. The Lord gives Stephen a vision, just what he needs in this moment as the crowd is grinding their teeth in anger and rage at him. He sees Christ, his Savior. And he says that he calls calls Christ the Son of Man. Why does he do that? This is Jesus' favorite title for himself in the Gospels. And it comes from Daniel chapter 7, which says, With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, who came to the Ancient of Days and received a dominion and kingdom and glory. So he sees this Son of Man exalted in heaven, ready to receive the glory of the nations. And Stephen's testimony doesn't just call to mind Daniel, but also reminds us of Jesus' own promise in the Gospels when he stood before this same Jewish council. He said, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God. So this is just how Jesus said it would happen. These same Jewish leaders called Jesus a blasphemer and condemned him to die. But Stephen testifies that Jesus is, in fact, at the right hand of God. But if Jesus said that he would be seated at the right hand of God, why does our text say twice that he is standing? Why is Jesus standing? Perhaps he's standing ready to welcome Stephen into his presence. Or maybe he stands ready to speak a true word in Stephen's defense. Or maybe he stands as the judge ready to pronounce justice in the face of injustice. After all, Isaiah says, the Lord stands to judge his people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. And Jesus himself declared that everyone who acknowledges me, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. I think both realities are probably in mind here as the Son of Man stands for his suffering witness. Our Lord promised that he must suffer many things and enter into glory. He said that we, his followers, would be blessed if we suffer on account of his sake. The Lord of heaven is not distracted or aloof 
when his suffering people call on him for help? Maybe that's the word that some of you need this morning. Lord, why have you forgotten me in my suffering? Don't you see what I'm going through? Stephen knew that the Lord hadn't forgotten him. And he's given this grace of, a, of sight to see the true reality in heaven. His friend, his Savior, his Lord standing, looking on for his, his suffering witness, Stephen. He acknowledges his witness, Stephen. He stands ready to help while his opponents are liable to judgment. Stephen is unjustly executed here by ungodly human judges. But the Lord does not just uh, ignore this. He sees Stephen and stands ready to help. The faithful witness has sight of his Savior ready to help, and he also trusts the strong hands of Jesus to receive his Spirit. The first point stresses his perfect knowledge and justice as the judge of heaven. The second point emphasizes Jesus' tenderness and faithfulness to his people. The Lord sees us and also secures our souls. Look at verse 59. As they're stoning Stephen, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It's a simple, urgent prayer that is full of faith. And here again, Stephen's words parallel something that Jesus says in Luke 23. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Luke before he gives up his spirit uh, are a quote from Psalm 31. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed my life, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus did not try to flee from suffering. He confidently submitted to his Father's will and committed himself to the one who judges justly. Stephen's vision of the exalted Lord shows that the Father preserved his Son through death and did not let him be put to shame. So Stephen is trusting Christ and also following his example of unshakable confidence in the face of death. But there is more here. Notice that the faithful witness here addresses his dying prayer to the Lord Jesus. He says, Lord Jesus. He's calling out to his suffering risen Lord for help. He entrusts his spirit to the nail-scarred hands of his Savior for safekeeping even through the valley of the shadow of death. Now with the game on the line, a quarterback will throw the ball to his most trusted wide receiver, confident that he will somehow come down with the catch to secure victory for his team. If I go to the pool or lake with my family, my kids will jump 
into my outstretched arms, knowing that I'm not just going to go like that and leave them to fall flat on their face. I'll catch them. They know that. So they'll jump. Stephen knows that Jesus has him, that he's going to catch him as he passes through death into glory. Jesus' strong hands are even more sure and steadfast. Remember the words of our good shepherd. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you believe that this morning, Bethlehem? It is good news that the good shepherd has us in his gracious grip and will never let us go. This truth sustained a friend of mine this week as he went in for open heart surgery, confident that Jesus had him. This truth offers true hope for all of us as we are weary and heavy laden. Stephen's prayer points us to our true security even when our flesh and heart may fail, even when we are standing at death's door. We can trust Christ's strong hands will keep our spirit safe and secure through death into eternal life. So we've seen that the Lord of heaven sees his people and will respond justly. And the Lord offers us true security even in the face of death. This brings us to our final point. The Lord saves. The righteous judge does not just give people what they deserve. He mercifully pardons his enemies. Consider verse 60. Stephen prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Here again, the faithful witness says something that recalls the words of Jesus. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. This angry mob attacking Stephen had stopped their ears. They had heard enough from the spirit-filled witness, but Stephen knows that Jesus' ears are open. That he hears his desperate cry and he will respond and do well. The Lord Jesus, whom this same council rejected, will one day judge the world in righteousness. And Stephen asks the sovereign judge not just to judge his enemies, but to pardon them. One poet puts it this way. Stephen heeded not reviling tones, nor sold his heart to idle moans, though cursed and scorned and bruised with stones. But looking upward, full of grace, he prayed, and from a happy place, God's glory smote him on the face. How can Stephen respond this way as rocks are being hurled at him? By seeing the face of his Savior. It is divine grace that freed Stephen from wanting to seek just vengeance and wanting to show love for his enemies, wanting to pray for his persecutors. The book of Acts offers us one remarkable glimpse of how God answers Stephen's dying prayer. 
Look at verse 58. Seemingly just an incidental detail in our passage, the witnesses are laying down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, we see Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And then in verse 3 of chapter 8, Saul was ravaging the church. And that continues in chapter 9 as Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he heads to Damascus to continue that crusade against the church. Saul is enemy number one of the early church. And yet, that's not the end of the story. Saul, whom we know by his Roman name, Paul, was a zealous opponent of the church. And this is how he described his violent persecution. He said, I was convinced I ought to do many things to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He locked people up in prison. He punished them. He tried to make them revile God. In raging fury, he persecuted them even to foreign cities. But Christ came to save sinners. Even violent extremists like Saul. As Saul was journeying towards Damascus to continue his efforts to oppose Jesus and his people, the Lord stopped him in his tracks and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The stunning grace of Jesus Christ transformed this notorious persecutor who approved of Stephen's death into the most unlikely preacher of the gospel. The one who would bring the gospel to the nations. One who never got over receiving mercy like this. Now we've seen that the Lord sees his suffering people. He secures our souls even through death, and he saves sinners like Saul, like us. How shall we respond to God's word this morning? First, Bethlehem, let's look to Christ, not to the approval of others. We all long for the affirmation and approval of other people. We want to be in what C.S. Lewis calls the inner ring, to be known, to be accepted. But people's opinion can be so fickle and unreliable. You can be in one moment and out the next. This happened to Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth in Luke 4. Everyone spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words. And a few verses later, they were filled with wrath and they drove the Son of God out of town. People often judge by appearances. While the Lord knows our hearts and always judges rightly. Acts 7 recounts grave injustice. Stephen doesn't get a fair hearing or due process. He's falsely accused and then murdered by a mob. Likewise, Jesus had done nothing deserving death, and yet he was condemned to satisfy the shouting crowd. In our day, 
biblical Christianity is considered intolerant, narrow, naive, and distasteful. We may not face an angry mob with rocks in in their hands, but we can expect to be misunderstood or maligned are marginalized when we don't embrace and promote all that the world celebrates. The Lord is our judge and our friend. It matters infinitely what he thinks of us and comparatively little whether people celebrate, condemn, or ignore us. I realize that is a hard truth to have sink in, but we see it in our text in Stephen. He is seeing Christ And that is enough to endure whatever the mob has for him. Remember the the promise. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friends, look to Christ this day, not to the approval of others. And second, love your enemies. Another hard word to actually do. And yet it's right what Jesus said. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be sons of your Father who's in heaven. We see Stephen offering us a powerful illustration of enemy love in action as he prays for God to pardon his persecutors. And the Lord answers this appeal and saves Saul, who would, surprise of surprises, carry on the work that Stephen began, proclaiming Christ. The book Unbroken recounts the remarkable story of Louis Zamperini, an American Olympic runner and World War II veteran. Probably many of you have read this book or or seen the movie. Zamperini was captured and taken to two prisoner of war camps and remarkably survived all of this. He endured daily beatings and cruel torture from the guards, especially a brutal corporal that he calls the bird. After the war, Zamperini was still haunted by images of the bird tormenting him in prison. And he longed to punish this man and get revenge, to do to him just what he had done to to Louis. But God, in 1949, changed Louis's life through a, a Billy Graham message. He surrendered his life to Jesus, and he returned to Japan the next year to face 850 former guards and extend forgiveness to them. And he wanted to particularly look for the bird who wasn't at that particular prison, and so he wrote a letter to the bird, and he said, love replaced the hate I had for you. He extended forgiveness and talked about the saving power of Jesus. But God. These stories of Stephen, Louis Zamperini, Elizabeth Elliot, and Rachel Saint, each illustrate in their own way the sort of love for enemies that Jesus commands and empowers his people to show. So I wonder for us as a church, what what individual or people do, do we find particularly hard to love? 
to forgive or reconcile with? Is it somebody in your family, an old friend, a former coworker, even a, a fellow church member who has wronged you or let you down in some way? Who did or said something that really hurt or hindered your relationship? What would you say or do if you ran into that person at Target this week? Or what if you ran into them in the church lobby? Our church covenant calls us as members to always be ready for reconciliation, but that is hard to do. We need more than simple human effort to just try harder to reconcile. We need more than just good interpersonal skills to show love to our enemies, to forgive and seek reconciliation with those who've wronged us. We need to see Jesus. We need to pray for his help to act in faith, to remember that we have been forgiven much, that we were once God's enemies, that he loved us by sending his own son to die in our place and secure our pardon, secure peace with God. I pray that the Lord may grant us as a congregation fresh gospel grace to love and pray for those in our lives that are hard to love and pray for as we trust the Lord and follow in his steps. Let's pray. Oh Lord, in your wisdom, you chose to see the gospel advance through suffering and hardship and obstacle and injustice, mob violence, all of the things that we've seen thus far in Acts. And yet we see that you are at work saving sinners, extending mercy to those that don't deserve it. You have shown us mercy, O Lord. Would you help us to be merciful to one another? Would you help us to see more of our Savior and to treat one another not as they deserve, but, uh, Lord, uh, according to the mercy that we have received? Do these things and more, we pray, as you build your church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415 Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.